This is Fragmented Reality, a digital bulletin podcast designed to bust the buzzwords that dominate enterprise technology. My name is Ben Mouncer, and in this episode, I take my clutch of eggs, each containing an industry buzzword, to Tony McCandless, CIO for Thames Water. Okay, Tony, let's go for the first egg. If you'd like let's to dip your hand into egg. our green egg. hard hat. Marvelous green egg. <laughs> let's see what the green egg says to us, shall we? What do we have? It says silos. Silos. Okay, so we're talking about organisational silos rather than data silos. So obviously as a CIO, you will be very familiar with um, silos and the problems that they cause. Do you you still sort of see silos emerging within IT teams? Um, Yeah, I think if you look traditionally, the gaps between the likes of service delivery and project and programme organisations are very typical. And what we've tried to do here is make sure that there is continuity from one to the other. So within the delivery organisation, which is our project and programme org, we have service introduction people in there, and we've got testers in there, and then service transition does that final test before service delivery accepts something in alive. And then the two leaders of those organisations both have shared goals, so that way it doesn't actually serve you to throw something over a wall that uh, doesn't work for someone else. I think the interesting thing that's emerging now with the increase in the likes of DevOps as an approach is that it's blurring the boundaries between those, but the same thing still exists in that if you're going to develop something, it still has to be capable of being supported in live. So that's an emerging scenario for us to look at about how you do that and get that whole thing working so yeah well, i think we're we're attacking them in a great a good way how long before silos are a thing of the past or do you think they're still going to be no i think i think to a degree they will continue to exist because if you look at skill sets i remember i joined a large organization flew to the us for my induction and one of the very senior people in there said to me tony what's the difference between a service manager and a program manager i don't get it And it was like, okay, this is going to take a while to educate this organization. But there are differences. You know, people look to drive change. Others look to be the guardians of consistency. And I think you've got to blend those skills, play people to their strengths, but give them a joint thing to work towards. So, yeah, I think as long as we have different skills, um, you will have the potential for silos. You could call them centers of excellence if you want. Um, but it's how you blend that together and get it working. Do you think they have a bit of a negative connotation? Do you think in some ways they might I, I, th- work I think they work? do, yeah. Yep. yeah. Definitely, there's a negative connotation in there um, with regards to it's okay to do my thing, but I don't really care what happens after I finish my thing and throw it over the wall. I think we have gone a long way to eradicating that, and, and part of what's made it easier to do here is that when I joined just over two years ago, there were only about a dozen people that you could identify as Thames, IT, technology, digital, and everything else belonged to the supply chain. And we've now turned that on its head. You know, we have a very strong Siam layer. We have a strong delivery organization. We're building a dev org. And that isn't to do it in the absence of partners, but it's us being at the center of it and taking the decisions and then owning the outcomes because we're the ones that carry the Thames badge. Mm-hmm. 
In terms of the new sort of wave of IT professionals that you're employing, do, do you sense their attitude is different as well? Do you think that they have a broader sort of approach to methodology? Yeah, yeah? It, it, it's quite interesting. So, you know, this goes to the, the very interesting question of, you know, what do millennials want? And, you know, we've got five kids and all of them are millennials. And it's interesting, there is a different attitude in them and I, I applaud it, which is... They want to get value from their job. They want to see how it contributes to society. They want to make sure it works somewhere that's environmentally friendly, etc. And that's kind of cool. What they don't particularly necessarily want to do is get into project and program management and work in service delivery. And we do see a trend whereby we tend to see the younger part of the technology workforce wanting to get into development areas. And it's probably why the move towards product base and DevOps working. If we are going to attract younger people into technology and they want to work on those things, then we've got to work out how to give them the environments to work in that give them something back. Yeah. Okay, really interesting. Should we go for our second egg? Yep, let's go mad. We had a green one, we're going to have a blue one now. Grief, there's a balance. Green and blue. <laughs> What's next to emerge? Ah, robotics. Robotics. What um, What's your sort of definition of robotics? Because I think people have different definitions, don't they? How, what comes to your mind first when you think of robotics in a business context? Yeah, it's quite funny, isn't it? Showing my age, Blade Runner, one of my favourite <laughs> films ever. Um, I, th- I think if you look at it, you know, we've got robotics, robotic process automation. Yeah. And I think the thing about that is that if people are honest and upfront, you know, there's a kind of line that goes with it that says take away the drudge take away the repetitive tasks put a robot in there and you free the person up yeah is that a notion that you agree with that you see as being to a degree yes but it's also avoiding the consequences of replacing repetitive tasks with automation which are most organisations do that in order to cut costs and they're cutting costs by removing heads If that's how the organisation intends to go, it should be honest about that. And we need to look at societal impacts as well. But What about those who say it frees up those employees to do more engaging work and better work? And it can do if you have engaging work, but to do that they have the skill sets to actually tackle. I think the big challenge is that all organisations are trying to optimise cost human beings in most organisations are a big part of cost Mm -hmm. and things like RPA remove low level tasks and therefore are likely to remove human beings so you may be freeing them up but you're also potentially if you're moving them outside your organisation you make it their problem and societies now that's a kind of big picture view the other side of it though would be that when you are dealing with an environment that has a lot of legacy systems, then there are a lot of screen scraping type things that go on. People cutting and pasting from one system and putting into another. That absolutely needs to be done through RPA. Because if not, that's where you begin to introduce human error. Um, So I think that most organizations do have a mix of legacy and more modern systems. A lot of organizations have an apps front end to legacy systems in the background, thereby hiding 
clunky interfaces and challenges like that, that's where RPA has got to play a part. On wider robotics, and you know, when you look at different industries, manufacturing, well, they've embraced robots for decades now. I think if you asked the man on the street what robotics meant, they would automatically associate yeah. it with that type of robotics yeah. rather than the software robots that you're yeah, talking about. E- e- exactly. So, you know, can we see a day that um, we have, you know, synths walking around and all of this sort of thing? Well, you don't stop technology. And the interesting thing that is, if you watch any films about uh, that sort of robots and all of these sorts of things, isn't it funny how we always make them in our image? Yeah. And I think the reality in that is that there's something reassuring about it being in our image, but there's also something quite disquieting. Mm-hmm. So like it's going like to be fascinating. Replacing us almost like they are physically yep. replacing yep. us. Yep. Yeah. And it it will be fascinating to see in the next couple of decades where that goes. Yeah. You know, I think, though, that there's other parts of robotics as well. You know, if you look at things like exoskeletals, where they're able to tap into nerve impulses and help people be mobile again when they've, you know, lost movement of limbs, etc. There's exciting developments there, you know, giving people limbs back and, yeah. and that sort of kind of almost bionic type thing. That's a really exciting development. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag. It will continue to evolve as technology does, and it should have positive impacts in society. Yeah. But we also need to be aware of where it has a negative one. Yeah, excellent. Okay, let's go to number three. Oh, let's have a completely random oh, for a pink, pink one. one. Good. The next hatched egg. Oh is my goodness! Oh, DevOps. Okay, another one go. close to your heart. Tony. Indeed. Um, what What does DevOps mean to you? I know it, we know the literal definition of DevOps, but how important is it to you? What does it mean to you? So I think we are definitely on the cusp of moving much more of what we do into this type of model. I think um, we'd probably use a different term for it, which would be kind of rapid application development. The DevOps bit that's a little bit concerning is, and you you can link it to things like Agile, Um, agile and and the concept of fast failing well fast fail is great but can you also succeed please and I think a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon and misinterpreted what DevOps and agile and scrum are meant to do okay I don't think you should really start anything without knowing what problem are you trying to solve Mm -hmm. what evidence do you have for that problem how do you measure that evidence and if you fix the problem What are you going to measure to be able to show that you've actually fixed it? And it doesn't really matter to me whether or not, you know, a methodology is a kind of waterfall project management methodology, if it's DevOps, you know, if it's Agile or whatever. I think you need to start it off tackling a problem, knowing the evidence, knowing the measures. And as you go through, you need to have some target dates things have ended up with a never-ending sprint that you just keep doing two, three-week cycles and nothing ever seems to get produced. Mm -hmm. So people move to a minimum viable product in a really short time space and then I think struggle to get a full product out there. They also struggle to say no to additional asks along the way, whereas in a traditional methodology you'd probably shut the door on your gold code, move on and then take things as enhancements. So I think we've all got a lot to learn 
Yeah, so that's that's the obvious sort of follow-on point, really. What, what is the future of DevOps, and what what's the future of sort of IT methodologies? Because you, you kind of mm. said there that you, you're kind of hinting that w- words like agile and waterfall and DevOps might sort of fall away, and you sort of, it's, it's such a bespoke thing now. Yeah, I mean, w- w- you know, we have an industry that has survived as a black art yeah. for decades now. Okay, a lot of people that you speak to still are like oh my goodness technology you know I don't get it I don't do this but the other side of that is that as technology begins to encroach on everyday life it is now a given that people have mobile phones that they have tablets that their TVs are smart you know people never stop talking to Alexa because there's such prevalence now in the home I think people's expectations of technology and work are changing quite a bit so our ability as an industry to come up with the next shiny new thing that some magpie goes chasing because hey let's do everything agile I think we've got to grow up a bit and stop chasing the silver thing and focus on yes there are different ways to get things done let's accept that some things might end up being traditional program and project management some will lend themselves really well to Agile and Scrum teams. Some things will lend themselves well to a kind of DevOps scenario. Yeah. Pick the right thing. Some big things might be a blend, but don't keep running to the next big thing and forgetting the good things about the stuff that you did in the past and how we did it. Very really good. Really interesting stuff. Right, let's have a fourth egg. Okay, let's see. Yep, oh, back to green. green. That's always a good thing, getting back to green. <laughs> Let's go on to, this is a long one, car digital disruption. <laughs> Goodness, a day in the life of a CIO. <laughs> it's just, what are you here for today? A bit of digital disruption, thank you. <laughs> Do you like the term? Um, mm, I think it's another of these bingo terms, yeah. to be quite honest. What, what does it really mean? Yeah, um, split the two down, suddenly everything's digital. Yeah. It's like, oh, really? I grew up on technology and IT and stuff. Um, disruption. Disruption is the word, isn't it? Because yeah. disruption is... It is. And, and people, I suppose, can regard disruption as a negative. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's people that are lovers of chaos. Yeah. And chaos is often associated with disruption. But if you think about it in a slightly kinder term, about how do you shake things up a bit, you know, if you look, especially in financial services just now, we have a whole interesting scenario about supposed digital banks. Yeah. I happen to know from personal experience, a lot of these digital banks are still running on technologies that are 30, 40 years old. But what they've done is that they've disrupted the market by putting clever front ends around that. Right. and offering clients an easy way to access stuff that you used to access by going into a branch or phoning you know, a contact centre up. So you can see how they've disrupted that and you can see the effects actually in banking mm-hmm. when we all look around and see branches being closed left, right and centre and people get up in arms about it quite rightly because there's a whole section of society that may not move onto a digital platform for doing things and their ability to bank has been taken away but at the same time you can see why banks 
would be shutting branches because as people move to digital platforms on their phones, on their laptops or tablets, you know, why do, why do they need the branches if yeah. they don't have footfall? And then if you look at retail, you know, why, why is the retail, why is the high street in absolute and utter chaos right now? Why are so many brands disappearing? Because people have embraced online, yeah. you know, massively. Um, I think we'd all agree those two examples are, are exam- genuine examples of digital disruption. Yeah. Do you think that term is then lifted up and you misused in other areas? I don't know if in your particular sort of field of enterprise IT, for example, is it something that's is it a term that's used? Probably not by the likes of myself, yeah. and, but that could be the fact that, you know, I'm now 54, so <laughs> um, it might be some of our, my younger peers may yeah. use that. They may get excited by it. I'm kind of a bit old-fashioned saying technology can absolutely enhance service. Um, we can find better ways to do things. We can give people better tools to do their job by. Yeah. That for me is quite exciting. If I think, you know, ultimately about the people who are facing our customers, you know, our techs in vans, if we can use technology to give them a better way to serve our customers and it takes a bit of stress out their job. And I'll give you an example, you know, it's, it's a weird one, but we have recently finished an end use compute refresh. And to me, all that did was bring us into the 21st century, right? We gave them some new devices. Um, We moved on to Office 365. What I didn't expect was one of our technology architects to be visiting a site and someone coming up to him and saying, you've changed my life. Now that's disruption, arguably, isn't it? And you're kind of like, okay, that sounds a bit overly dramatic, but how? (laughs) And he's like, because we have teams I now don't have to spend half my day in a van driving site to site and the more important thing at the end of the day I am not a traffic jam away from my family I can get home and see my wife and kids you know and, and we currently are working with Microsoft to do a case study on why it is Thames Water just embraced Teams as a technology mm-hmm. and that's why yep. you know we can use technology to actually get people connected back to their families yep. to get them home a bit earlier to put their kids to bed to not have to be in vans stuck on the M4 or wherever to me that's quite cool it's a really compelling case isn't it yeah in terms of the future obviously we know right now we're living in an age of technology sort of change at a rapid rate do you think in in the next 10 years 50 years the term digital disruption will become redundant do you think technology's pace of change will, will dip slightly or do you think it's still going to be relevant in 50 years because technology is going to change and change and change and yeah. disruption will happen yeah i think i think terms have a life to them yeah um our industry loves inventing them but it also loves forgetting them so we'll move on yeah I think the rate of change though, I can't see it getting any slower. I just see it spreading into different areas. And I think if we all take a step back and look at social responsibility, we've seen some fairly horrendous examples in the last couple of years about how technology has helped engineer negative social engineering. Mm You know, the targeting of people through having 5,700 data points on them, as was highlighted in, you know, the great hack. Yeah. That's technology enabling. Maybe some people will agree with it. I certainly don't. I don't think we should be using technology to influence people to 
the agendas that leave people impoverished, that drive negativity in society. Yeah, there's a greater cause here, isn't there, I think? Yeah. Um, right, let's move on to our final final okay. egg of the day. One final more. Final egg. What colour can we get? Oh, a yellow one. That's good. We're all yellow. What have we got? Oh, the future of work. Oh, oh boy. Very um, My goodness. generic general topic to, yeah. to finish with. I guess when when people pull this one out of the out of the bowl, I always start by asking them like, "What's your interpretation of that sort of phrase? Mm-hmm. What what does that mean to you?" Yeah, it, it, so probably I have a bit of a, a side interest in you know sociology and economics and, and society in general. And it's funny if you look back to the industrial revolution, people were going to be able to not necessarily have to work five days a week and this and that and the next thing if you go back before that to the move from hunter-gatherer to farmers you know it was the same scenario I think there's there will always be a future for work we though potentially have population growth that we may need to rethink about what the outcomes of work are when you have vast swathes of society eating out of food banks and people who have very well-paid jobs and there's a massive gap between them where does the responsibility lie for work overall and someone gave me a great example the other day they were on a train between switzerland and italy and at the border they actually changed the team on the train and he said probably about 10 people got off and about 30 got on and it was the move from the Swiss side to yeah. the Italian side. And the Italians brought 30 folk on, someone to you know, produce a ticket and someone to hand it to you sort of thing. Yeah. And you think, oh my goodness. So for us as technologists, that's horrendous. It's like, but you can do it with one third of the workforce. Yeah. Well, what, what are the other two thirds that aren't on the train on the Swiss side doing for a living? How yeah. do they get some feeling of contribution to society? maybe the Italians have got it right so you know when when people talk about big societal changes and inevitably discussions come back to but who's going to pay the bill and we're all really keen to know who pays the bill for having £10 an hour as a minimum wage or who pays the bill for this or that and the next thing we never ask the question who's currently paying the bill for the impact of not having these things And are we all prepared to turn ourselves away from looking at working populations, like in the UK, 60% of those who who use food banks are in work? There's something not quite right. So how how do we adjust that balance? When do we stop just being so obsessed about us squirrelling money away and having big houses and flash cars and actually look at the responsibilities in society? And I think the future of work needs to come into that what about technology then what where does that come into it is it a villain of the piece or do you think technology will enable a, a better future workplace and workforce it's an interesting one i mean we've got five kids and eight granddaughters already and probably more to come you know and if i look at my grandchildren it is terrifying how capable they are of using technology yeah. even at you know 12 to 18 months old so i think that it just is part and parcel. Is it a villain of the piece? Uh, it can contribute if used badly. Mm-hmm. But 
I think that uh, the villain of the piece are some of the poor decisions that are made by those who have only self-interest at heart. Yeah. You know, a little bit more generosity for likes of corporates paying their tax in the country that they raise revenue. Mm-hmm. If they did that in the UK, people would have enough to fund the NHS and other things. Why are we incapable of making tough decisions like that, but we seem quite comfortable in having over 2,000 food banks? Technology didn't cause that. Decisions from people who are in power caused that. Yeah. Okay. As usual, it comes back to people. We talk about technology, but always it does come back yeah. to people, doesn't it? Well, Tony, thank you very much for your, uh, your time today. Hope you enjoyed no the chat. Thank you. Power up your day with the Bulletin Brief, the latest news, insights and opinion delivered straight to your inbox. Subscribe now at digitalbullet.in.